0: It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester, America's premier automotive news and information talk show. Ken loves talking all about cars, past, present, and future. Here he is, that automotive nerd with a historical twist, Ken Chester.
1: Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is our number two of Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. I'm your host for the hour, Ken Chester, in studio with Jack and Sasha. Together, we are the Roadworthy Drive crew. So glad you could join us. Again, we have the deck full of topics to discuss, such as the effort to share costs, manufacturers as well as states and local municipalities. Yeah, I can say. I can talk. Talk? Yep. (laughs) of the implementation and development of electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles in this changing world. The crew also takes a look at the Porsche way of charging electric vehicles and the obvious benefits for all in the years to come. And then finally, we look at Amazon's and Google's aggressive move into our cars, whether we want them there or not. All of that packed into this hour. Now, for those of you that want to add your voice to the conversation – Call or text me via the Roadworthy Drive line. That number is 872 222 9793, and it's good anytime. If email is your thing, my address is ken at net. Either way, we'll connect you to me and the show. Speaking of the show, with me in studio this hour is the steady hand on the controls and favorite of the suits. Yes, I am. Jack Dillion. Opposite me on the official studio table is the always opinionated, sometimes caffeinated, roadworthy drive social media diva, Sasha Little.
2: And the suits I- like me very much.
1: How we doing? No, that is so not like they me.
2: They like me. The yeah. suits like me.
1: I don't know. I I, I don't know. How to...
2: ah, ah, no, you need to bust out with the uh, Dot and Animaniac song, I'm Cute. They like me.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not I I, I got I'm not nothing. touching
3: this one with a ten foot pole. Uh uh-uh, uh oh, no. Not me either, bruh. No. no, she um, on her own here. Yeah. Okay, Ken, what is the approach been this hour?
1: Uh I wanted to give just kind of a quick overview. The global auto market is softening across the board. And uh saw some real interesting things. Um all is not well everywhere. Uh for example, you remember Suzuki? Yep. Remember they used to sell cars in the United States? They gave up in 2012? They're yes, the ones sir. that
2: had those like tracker-type vehicles, yeah. right? And right. Then their last That's car concrete.
1: actually was really nice. It was called a kiyashi. Oh, yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. But it was too little, too late. In 2012, they threw in the towel. They also was selling a truck at the time, which was basically, they called it the Equator Pickup. It was mm-hmm. a rebadged Nissan Frontier, but I digress. Um, they're giving up selling cars in China. Oh, really? Yeah. Are they
2: going to sell cars, period?
1: Uh, not in China.
2: Well, okay. There's other places in yeah. China. Yeah, okay.
1: I, and I don't know, but I'm talking about China right now. Okay. Let's, let's back up for a second. Mm-hmm. Where is Suzuki based out of? Uh, Japan. Japan. Oh, okay. okay. But they're throwing the towel in in China. Okay. okay. They sold a lot of smaller cars. Uh, but again, uh, they're considered a weaker brand or what I would call a second tier Chinese uh, Japanese brand. And uh, they didn't spend the money, believe it or not, to go into SUVs and uh, crossovers. Okay. So they're bailing. Now, they're still going to concentrate on the Indian market, answer your question, Sasha, Mm -hmm. where they are the top-selling automaker. They have a local joint venture, but they sell small cars. That's their thing. Right. And the whole market's shifting, as well as the fact there are so many many companies in China selling cars that were having... It's time for the shakeout, and as this global slowdown happens, a lot of the weaker uh, players are going to either have to merger or get squaws out, and Suzuki is a casualty of, that, of all of that, and the fact that folks want, even in China, SUVs and crossovers. Okay. Now, here's something weird. Um, now, we've reported here that Nissan in the United States has made the commitment to stick with cars. Now mm-hmm. they sell trucks, they sell SUVs, but the Altima, the Sentra, they're staying with it, except in Russia, except in Europe. They're bailing on cars in both those in across Europe and in Russia, which I think is very weird. Do they say why? Um same thing going on in Russia and Europe that's going on here. the public seemingly insatiable hunger for SUVs. But here's the thing. Nissan's taking a different approach on the continent than they are here. And it doesn't say why they are. In he, in the United States, Nissan said, and they're convinced there's going to be a backlash, mm-hmm. that younger people are going to come back to cars. Yeah, They're not saying that in Europe and Russia. They're just getting out entirely. They're like, mm-mm, not happening. We're done. We're out.
3: Well, the one thing I can tell you. When I was dealing with Leanne's car a while back, Mm -hmm. what I saw going on at the dealers was was when they were delivering cars, I saw millennials, young families, Mm -hmm. and they were all buying the same thing, Mm -hmm. SUVs and crossovers, Mm -hmm. consistently Mm -hmm. buying those cars.
2: The statistics and the studies are actually showing that. The numbers are saying that. But what Nissan is saying that, you know what? There's going well at three dollars a gallon. And, you know, with these younger kids, they're saying that they're gonna go back to the car.
1: No. Um what the issue is, much like the minivan became the quote unquote mommobile.
2: Oh yeah, right.
1: (laughs) Um, you've got people like my wife buying crossovers and older folk and you know, mothers and stuff. They're going to the crossovers and SUVs. These are kind of the new minivans of the time.
2: Oh, and the kids are saying, and the kids
1: <laughs> are saying, "No, I don't want to drive what my mother's driving." And heavens no, I'm not driving what grandma's driving. Oh my god!
2: Notice that they have no pro- problem driving what grandpa's driving. You know that old 1980 pickup truck.
1: Yeah, not a problem.
2: The, right? You, trying to get you have keys. no issue looking cool. Uh-uh, in a uh-uh. truck.
1: But now, on top of that. So we're going to see if Nissan and Honda and Toyota are right. They've all doubled down on cars in the United States. Okay, but Nissan, through the Talon in, in Europe and Russia, said cars ain't selling. We're done. Uh-huh. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I would
3: like to know for 2019 how many actual car models there are. Doesn't care about the manufacturer. Oh, like just how-, how many car? Ma- how many cars are available? And the, the the model of the car.
1: A lot fewer than used yeah, to be. Yeah, Edmunds I just, that.
2: just released something that it had, like, the total amount. I'll have to find that for well, you.
1: Well, look at it this way. Ford's out. Yep. With the exception of the Mustang, um, the Fusion is going to be uh, the last car, and it's done in 2021. I thought they were going to make uh, a Focus. You know? Glad you brought that up. Wow. Here I we got go. got a word for you. Yep tariff yeah oh and now they're not
3: we only told you you could talk about that in one hour
1: yeah well you do know not what? mention that word again you know what <laughs> don't keep bringing up tariff related items it's- i have
3: no idea
1: yeah well i'm not the crack research staff here <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> why is everybody I- I'm, not,
1: I- I- I'm not how y'all doing i'm not how y'all doing we're fine <laughs> thank you now here's the thing mm-hmm. in the united states and in china the auto market's cooling off. Mm-hmm. Interesting. No, time. Typically, it's been my knowledge of history. Car sales are usually up four years, down four years. With the recession, people didn't buy vehicles. So once we got to that tipping point, which was right around 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. where people felt secure and prices were stable, yep. um, there was a pent-up demand. And we set records for two, three years. Yep. Now, across the country, that demand is done. People are done by replacing what they had put off. Those numbers are falling. So here you go. And right now, I mean, you you see TV and you're seeing these ridiculous amounts, regardless manufacturer on pickup trucks and SUVs, you know, get 20 percent cash off. And, you know, and these are their profitable vehicles. And they're throwing that kind of money around.
2: Well, not only that, but, I mean, let's take in effect the choices in mobility that people have now that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you necessarily – I mean, you've talked about your own life, you know, that you didn't have a vehicle until mm-hmm. – I mean, do you necessarily need one? Is the demand necessarily for a vehicle anymore? And I don't think that it is if you live it's not.
1: in town. Uh, we've talked about young people, uh, families delaying mm-hmm. their purchases, and a lot of young people who no longer equate – Freedom with transportation. Yep. You know, you can be social without ever getting into a car. When we were growing up, having transportation and being social were one and the same. You couldn't be social without a ride. That's right. Today, you can be. And we're seeing that in the numbers. Um, really quick, global auto sales have increased since 2010, but they're on, they're going to show only an, uh, a 1.8% increase this year off from 5%. So it's slowing It's going down, and it's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens as the industry tries to correct. In China, it means that the weaker players are going to get forced out. Coming up, new technologies can be cost prohibitive. Companies and governments look to cost sharing to get the most mileage out of their technology initiatives.
2: Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You're riding shotgun with Roadworthy Drive.
0: tuned to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester Stuck. <laughs> we did it on purpose. Now, let's put on a pair of Gulf winter tires. Set the car back down into the same ruts and watch. What gives Gulf winter tires a terrific pulling power? These treads, designed for maximum traction. They bite through with a deep-cleated, sure-footed grip. And the special design prevents loss of traction caused by snow packing between the cleats. So this winter, relax. Get sure-footed safety from Gulf Winter Tires. Buy them now. Where your driving takes a turn for the best. At the sign of the Gulf Orange Disc. If you're just tuning in,
1: welcome to Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester in studio along with Jack and Sasha. Together, we're known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. Cost-sharing. Being able to share the cost burden with others is a great way to leverage limited resources to get the most bang for your buck. But with all this new transportation technology coming at cities, towns, and states, pitching together is often the best way. And we're going to take a look a little bit at what cities and towns are trying to do uh, going on. Now, uh, before I get to cities and towns, even manufacturers are doing it. Uh, For example... BMW is open to forming alliances to share costs of developing self-driving systems and plans more deals with mining companies to secure EV battery materials. Now, they're not the only one to do this. Elon Musk is doing it. I think Apple is also trying to do it. So they're trying to get – lock in. Typically, I think cobalt was one of the issues and uh, lithium was the other issue that they were trying to lock into. The funny thing is – and I want to say it was Apple – they're looking at actually developing a battery source that doesn't use cobalt. So, we'll see how that goes. Um BMW was showing off an SUV, an autonomous SUV Ooh. in Beijing's that has gas and brake pedals which sink into the floor during autonomous driving. What? Yeah. So Does they the become... steering
2: wheel disappear too? Yeah. Oh, and we've talked about who was it that was making the vehicle without a steering wheel?
1: Well, actually, Google's first, the Firefly didn't have one.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: Um, it's been retired, but in but then again, the Firefly was also limited to 25 miles an hour and geofenced to just around the company's campus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it didn't go that far, but it was a good education for them. Um, BMW's also looking at, in part of dealing with, nailing down supplies, they're talking to suppliers about how to agree on one standard for autonomous vehicle systems. Again, lower costs. Right. Same thing with batteries. Um, By vertically integrating, um, which is the way companies used to do things, Mm -hmm. um, they could control the supply of raw material and get a handle on the cost as well as availability. So that's one way companies are doing it. Now, uh, if you're a city... Look at all this stuff that's coming at you right now. Ride-hailing systems, car and bicycle sharing networks, trip planning apps, and other innovative, technologically sophisticated mobility services are winning users in cities around the world. So what's a city to do? And particularly a city that has a public transit system. Well, in this report uh, by McKinsey and Company that issued last year, um, cities around the world have begun to integrate new private mobility services into their transportation system through partnerships. One of the biggest things that they're all looking for is information or data. Because by using data, sharing data, they're able to better design and bring together a public-private partnership. In other words, if you know how traffic is flowing, if you know um, when the needs are and where they're going, then you can determine what's right, whether it's car hailing or sharing or a public transportation a piece of it, and making it seamless, or what they call frictionless.
3: Guys, did I see someplace this week where somebody has come up with an app that will handle all of your transportation needs we talked in, to, in, in a city?
1: We talked about that. I yep. forget the name of the app, but we actually talked about that. And in fact, uh, both Lyft and Uber are making strides in that direction. But I thought we talked about a third-party app. That did the same thing. Right, because if I remember correctly, it was taxis, buses, everything. Everything, Everything. because the point is, if you're Lyft or Uber, you want to keep people on your platform as long as possible, even if your first mile, last mile, and the middle piece happens to be public transportation. If you make it all one app where it's, and they like the word frictionless, in other words, ease of use the easier it is for me to use the app without having to have two or three different apps or i need you know change for this card for that now i get to the public transportation i need something else entirely Uh uh-uh the whole thing is working with cities and working together everybody gets the most out of what's there because hardcore truth when it comes to packed dense areas, public transportation is still the most efficient way of doing it. But when you're getting first mile, last mile, whether it's commuter rail, maybe you're five miles from the commuter rail station, or you are disabled in some way, where you need some additional help, um, having these other things is actually more cost efficient, and everybody can win. They're talking everything from shared mobility, which is what we just talked about, product innovation... Uh, which would include next-generation vehicles and transportation equipment with designs and features that have been engineered for better performance, uh, keywords through data analysis, customer experience, getting feedback from folks actually using this stuff so you can design it better to meet their needs and make them more likely to use it. Gee, what a concept. All down to data-driven decision-making, using the ebb and flow of traffic and how people use things in order to design it to be more user-friendly. Right now, in 71 cities author- around the world, authorities have arranged partnership with new mobility service providers. So there's that. Now, not to be undone, um, let's say you are a big city and you want to go green and you want to replace a bunch of stuff, but the cost is prohibitive. In the case of Los Angeles, they teamed up with a bunch of cities, Seattle, Portland and San Francisco, to create what they call Climate Mayor's EV Purchasing Collaborative, which allows any city in town across the country to save thousands of dollars buying uh, environmentally friendly vehicles for their city fleets. Right now, it's cars and light trucks, but they're looking at getting into heavy trucks and buses and stuff like that later on. They could save millions, if not billions of dollars. LA alone has 115,000 vehicles. So that basically the city
3: owns. basically what you're saying here is that these cities are basically making
1: their own Costco. Yes. As an yeah. example. Yes, nice. Uh, Chevy Volt for example, going through them you can save $5,000. Wow. Um, on a Ford Fusion energy plug-in, save 2 grand. All by getting it together. But, you know, but like they said right now This site is focused on light-duty sedans, but it's part of a bigger plan. They want to go to bus, truck, van, and space eventually uh, working together like this. So we're going to see cities get smarter at getting greener, and that's a thing to enjoy. Next up, Porsche is taking a leading role at the development and deployment of electric vehicles and, more importantly, high-voltage, quick-charging systems. See why this will help the EV industry as a
0: whole.
2: Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive.
0: Roadworthy Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network.
3: I am now forbidding all off-air conversations. Yeah,
1: that took a, we ma- don't, that took we a don't, weird turn. It,
3: not only did it take a weird turn, but it was also like, why are we all having the same recurring thing happening? What What is wrong with me? Must be something in the water. Apparently. Welcome back to Roadworthy <laughs> Drive. I'm Jack. He's Ken. She is Sasha. And actually, she is the one that started it.
1: Ain't that I am the a- truth?
2: Okay, yeah, I kind of did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, folks, if you're a first-time listener and you want to learn more about the show and Roadworthy and the Roadworthy Drive crew, heaven help you, uh, <laughs> check out our website, roadworthydrive.com, video of our behind-the-scenes antics in-studio, audio of past shows, and so much more. If you're active in the world of social media, and, who, and these days, who isn't? Uh, Sasha keeps things light and lively between shows on our Facebook page. Her inspirational and informative posts will convince you that she is the reason for the social in our social media. Mm. For real, though. No. <laughs> if you want to listen to us via your mobile phone, we've got you covered there, too. Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Google Play, Blueberry Podcasting, and Stitcher. You will be glad you did. Uh, the theme or the subject for this segment. Yes, sir. Porsche. Porsche. Uh, For years, known as a boutique manufacturer of such iconic sports cars as the ageless 911 and outrageously fast Cayenne SUV, they're they're making a major foray into the world of electric vehicles.
2: And what does that say about electric vehicles? The fact that our... They're fast? Well, they can be. Absolutely. I mean, hello, ludicrous speed. But
1: (laughs) girls taking words out of my mouth, man. I read the script. Uh, um, That's a first. Anyway.
2: Oh, but anyway, the fact that these small, and I don't mean to refer to Porsche as small, but they don't mass produce. And yet, these vehicles with a strong fan base are being like, we're going to do EV.
1: Yeah, the new Taycan vehicle. Yes. Uh, they're going all in with a high-voltage DC quick charging system. Uh, and they're going to make them available to everybody. But when Porsche does high-voltage, <laughs> <Available. laughs> when they do high-voltage, typically your typical high-voltage charging system mm-hmm. today is about 150 to 350 volts. Uh, they're talking about 850. Wow. Eight hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. They're not playing. So we're talking about how long for charge time in minutes. OK, literally minutes. And that's their whole thing. Uh, Porsche sums up their approach to charging electric cars in three words. Seamless. And fast.
2: Like everything else to do with Porsche.
1: Yeah. But remember, we were talking the last show, the last hour. Mm hmm. About hydrogen and the ability to, re, you know, just load up and go.
2: Right. Right. Right.
1: Um, they want to build an infrastructure available uh, that will, depending on the location, be everything from a charging park to something they call a charging box uh, to reflect the amount of space available, particularly if you're in a large city, you don't have much space. And they did put in a lot of thought here. Um their technology standpoint they're introducing the first system it's going to work at 800 volts and it's going to enable a charge rate of up to 350 kilowatts which is quite a bit uh quoting porsche our power range starts at 150 kilowatts and extends up to 350 um it could be more than that um but the problem with getting more is has to do with the battery's ability to hold a charge batteries eat, uh Lithium-ion batteries work best when they're and it's weird, not at 100%. They got to be about 90, 95% to be at their most effective. So you don't ever want to completely recharge a battery. It's weird, but that's the that is the science behind it. Okay. Yeah. Um, they don't want to take a long time. This is what they say to explain this a little further. It's not possible at 100% charge with fast charging. As the charge level rises, the power has to be cut back. Although, although, I wish I could talk. <laughs> we, they can charge for 400 kilometers as little as 20 minutes without the battery suffering. So you know you can get that much range in about 20 minutes. Um, but you, I guess what I'm trying to say is there is a trade-off. Speed of charging versus how many miles you can get for that for that moment. Obviously, with a home charger, which is a lower charger for a longer period of time, you can get more mileage. In other words, they might be able to give you 30%, 40% recharge in 20 minutes, as opposed to if it sat overnight at home, you could get the full charge. Correct. Um, but then again, it's like 8 to 10 hours that way. So th- there are some trade-offs. Now I talked about different ways that Porsche could make charging available. One of the things they talked about the charging park, which is what it says, acreage with a number of charge points uh, that you can charge. The most interesting thing they talked about is something called the charge box. Uh, the charge box uh, is an area is for extreme for an area that has extreme space constant. <laughs> Constraint. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just can't talk. Uh, get all choked up about charging, I guess. The charge box is comes with a built-in battery. It can be connected to the normal low-voltage grid, but still enable fast charging in spite of being in a very compact place. I think that's the one that's probably got the most opportunity in cities and towns when you want to be green uh, and you want fast charging – you may not necessarily have a garage at home to do it. That's true. So there's That's an opportunity. True. Um another thing, um they they give this example and Porsche does this over and over and there's a flaw in their example, but I'll get to it. They also want when they talk seamless, if you're going on a trip and you have different providers of charging. They didn't feel that you needed to have different cards and different protocols and different ways you know, so you had to carry a whole bag of cards. This is what they call it. They said, this is their example. Someone who wants to drive from Munich to Hamburg in an electric vehicle today needs multiple cards in which they have to authenticate themselves at the charging station. Porsche eliminates this authentication role for customers by establishing contracts with all of the charging station operators. So the customer only needs one charging card that is accepted everywhere. Sounds nice, right? Right. Except for one little thing they left out. What was that? Uh, it's not entirely accurate because Tesla's supercharger network has an extensive number of stations between Munich and Hamburg that its drivers can use seamlessly without a card or authorization at all. Uh, I believe that's called competition. Right? I believe you're right. Yeah. So this can be done. Now, Porsche and um, – and they've launched it. We talked about it. Its own electric car charging mobile app and service to facilitate the charging experience – the other thing they're looking at, and and Sasha will like this, mm. the engineering executives also said that inductive charging is also being evaluated by the company and could be added to the take-in later on. Yes, graphene. Yes, graphene. Now, they didn't say graphene, but I thought graphene. Right, so, yeah. Porsche's leading it. We're going to all benefit from it, and we'll see how that continues to evolve. Last up, Amazon and Google want, to ch- want their devices be enabled in your car as well as your home. Are you okay with that? Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive.
0: Want more than your share of the road? Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Facebook.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is the fourth and final segment for this second hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester in studio with Jack and Sasha. Together, we are the unrestricted, <laughs> unsupervised, don't let the suits hear that, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Roadworthy Drive crew.
3: Um, number one, apparently I am the adult in the room, so yes, I'm supervising.
1: Uh, yeah, he's number- doing a poor job. And number unsupervised. two. supervised. And number two. Mm-hmm. I need therapy. <laughs> like I said, unsupervised. Oh, I'm going to say. Go on, sir. Uh-huh. Unsupervised. We're going to wrap up this visit together with a look at both Amazon and Google's attempt to weave themselves into your life. Okay, stop. Mm-hmm. This just freaks me out. You don't want your microwave ordering you pizza? No. You don't want your uh, interactivity, interactivity with your... Uh, Flat screen TV? You no. don't want you don't want Lexa know Alexa knowing your business.
3: No, I don't want Alexa knowing my business because if you put one of those devices in your house and if you have one, that's fine. You can do that. It's your prerogative. But the thing is, do I really want something recording every single
1: one of now, my conversations? But now for sure. All we know, and I'm not even sure if that's still current. It said the thirty seconds before. That's so it, what they want us to believe, sir. Uh, but do we have proof that it's recording more than that? Do we have proof that it's not? Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's okay. my thing, and that's fair. That's fair. I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with that. But here's the thing: um, Amazon's Alexa and Google's Android are they're adding more devices that are enabled, uh, Alexa enabled. Um, Google-enabled. You've seen the commercials right now on the TV of a major automaker where she speaks to her vehicle, says, Alexa, uh, call Starbucks with my favorite coffee order. That's a commercial playing on TV right now.
3: Well, you've you've also kind of seen a parody with an insurance company where the the kid tells the refrigerator what's the temperature, tells the trash masher to turn on the TV. Yep. Um, all and of the drone up. to
1: deliver the pizza, and it misses the table.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: Ew, yeah. Well, you know what? But if that was a Domino's pizza, I'd probably be covered for that. Oh, go on. I'm just saying. Wow. I'm just saying. Are you? It missed the table. Wow. If they delivered it via a drone, then they should well, be good but for then it, right? Again,
3: but then again, have you seen the one where... The guy the guy drops the pizza, picks it back up and goes, good, sets it on top of the car, and then the car gets smashed by a tree. Oh, no, <laughs> actually,
1: actually, the pizza's fine. He falls after that. Oh. He gets out the car, uh, you know, just gets out the car with the pizza. He's holding the pizza. The tree falls on the car. He's not lamenting the car. He's checking the pizza. And then he turns to walk, slips on the ice. Pizza goes sky high. He falls flat in his back. Wow. Oh. And I can tell you, having done that, knocked myself out cold, it's not pretty. Oh, I've done done the same thing and and broke a bone we couldn't fix. Ouch. Yeah. But here's the thing. Um, Alexa's going into more expensive appliances like ovens and washing machines.
2: What are you going to tell your oven?
1: In fact, there's also an admittedly neat but crazy expensive smart toaster oven named June, which was apparently successful enough to warrant a second version. And there are more Alexa-enabled products coming, like an amp, a receiver, and a subwoofer. And uh, their words, an in-car gadget of some variety is also in the works. Yes, Sasha. Yes. I have a question. Uh, Okay. Do
3: you want your refrigerator talking to you? And here's my concern. Mm -hmm. When it starts looking to see what is in your refrigerator. Right. I mean, and it's
2: looking for branding because we already have that.
3: Well, not only is it branding, but at what point could they they, they send a message to your doctor and basically go, this
1: is what he's eating? Yeah. Uh, Actually, I am so glad you brought that up. Oh, boy. Google is reportedly developing an AI assistant that recommends workouts and meal plans. It's a thing. Is it that far for it to suggest? Uh, Like, for example, it said... uh, It's called Google Coach, um, powered by artificial intelligence. Um, It will deliver insights proactively. And if you're falling short of a fitness goal, it could suggest workouts and routines that will help you achieve it. Um, The wellness assistant will keep track of your your nutrition and foods you consume. And use other signals like location to make actionable recommendations like, now this is me talking, like you don't really want to eat that pizza, do you? Okay, this is
3: the point where I get a gun out, and I should be applying it. Ah.
1: At a restaurant, now this is the piece, at a restaurant, it might point you towards healthier menu items. And before you go grocery shopping, it could email you a weekly meal plan personalized to your schedule. I'm not eating kale. Get over it. I I, kind
2: of do want that, though. Yeah, no. Like I would, I would love that, you know. And I say this in the same breath as I say that I have lamented over the fact that where is my fully autonomous kitchen that I was promised with the Doris Day movie, you know, Glass Bottom Boat? Like where is that? Where I mean, I come home and I've got like the robotic little, you know, elephant looking robot that's sweeping up. And oh, you mean Rosie? T- right. Um, <laughs> nineteen
1: fifty, Ray Badbury. And they'll be soft rains.
2: Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Oh, Scary. wow. Scary.
1: 1950.
2: And I'm telling you, he was a time traveler. I'm telling 1950.
1: you right now. Nineteen fifty. Here's the part that scares me. Yeah. Um, The fact that at a restaurant, it might point you towards healthier menu items. And before you go grocery shopping, it could email you a weekly meal plan personalized to your schedule, which means it would probably talk to your refrigerator. Yep. I'm not okay with that. I'm not either. I mean, does...
3: Is it me, or does this sound like 1984? Not very uh, much so. George Orwell, amen. hey, people. I'm like, Another tri-
2: time traveler.
1: Yeah.
3: I am uh, like, this is this is what really freaks me out. But do oh, you understand? I how, mean, I love the technology. Do not get me wrong. Right. I love the tech. But this is like, no, I don't want anybody up in my business.
1: Yeah. Up in my refrigerator, especially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it gets worse. They're talking about this assistance, which is going to be like on a smartwatch. Yep. But will eventually come to smartphones, set up, set top boxes, smart speakers, and other devices in some capacity. Me asking and cars. hmm I mean, their whole thing is they want you to stay on their platform for as long as possible. and so that way they can they get wanna, more data. And they want to make it seamless between your house and Internet of Things and your vehicle. Mm-hmm. Now,
3: now, can I see me in my truck? Asking Alexa, "Hey Alexa, I forgot to turn the lights on. Can you turn the lights on so I don't walk into a dark house?"
1: You realize you can do that now.
2: Yeah, US has got that thing that. that and was-
1: another and another long and another uh, yeah. media company has the same thing. You can do that now. The problem is, um, and we talked about this. This stuff can get hacked. Yeah, exactly. And it has been hacked. Yeah, and their level of is not all that great. So yeah, I'm a little frightened. Wow, we've come to the end of a second hour, whereas all the time went. (laughs) Oh, well, on behalf of Jack, Sasha, myself, the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. Real facts, real
2: opinions, real talk. You've been listening to Roadworthy Drive.
0: Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.